Morning, Red Point. It is an absolute joy to see you this morning. I know some of the brothers, Jean-Marc, how's it going? I know some of the brothers are worried. Apparently, I had a very worried look on my face. And um, I think because probably through the week as I've been preparing on worship, which is what I'm ministering on this morning, I feel like God's taken me deeper, and I feel like he's undone me. It's a wonder that I haven't started crying yet, so these are good things. Um, but I feel like God is doing something in me. And this word this morning might be strong, but my prayer, actually, wait, let me start with my notes. Let me go. I'm doing a nick now. I'm already going off my notes. Anyway, so I am speaking about worship, which is something that I really do enjoy, if you didn't know that. And uh, I have the privilege of spending countless hours with different guys in this community, around the community, speaking about the area of worship, training worship teams, and all of that sort of stuff. But I believe that, that God has given worship as a gift to this community and this church in particular. Yes, it is true of every church, I know that, but there are some things that God gives to a church that there's just such an ease and a grace with which they do what they need to do. And so there's churches that have the ability to raise up these amazing disciples that are shot all over the world. Or a base church that raises leaders that will go and take the kingdom forward, that will break through and break open ground. Or some communities that have the ability to write these incredible songs that help usher us into the kingdom of heaven. And I think worship is one of those things for us. And um, as I was talking to Pete this week, we were talking about the worship evening, which was a lot of fun. And um, I was saying to him, you know, there's many ways that you can attack a worship evening. You can get very technical, and I've got some friends that are highly gifted and highly skilled. I'm definitely not one of those. And you can have a very skilled, put-together worship set. But I said, actually, I'm a very simple person. I think our church is very simple. I said, if we've got the right songs and the right people leading, I feel like we've got what we need. Because I said, all I feel like we need to do on Sunday nights is we just need to kickstart, and I know that the community will come around us. They were there physically around us, but as, as we started, there were moments where we stopped playing, and you could just hear the murmurs of worship happening. Because I believe that deep down in Redpoint, there is a DNA, and you might be new here and kind of figuring all of this out, but deep down in the DNA of Redpoint Church is this idea of worship. And I thought of this, I don't know if any of you have done this, I definitely did it as a young person, but you know sometimes you get a piece of thread that's on your shirt, and you kind of hold it, and you go, I need to make a decision now. Am I going to yank this thing? Or should I just go and pick up a pair of scissors and just chop it off? If you're a guy, you're probably just going to yank it because, you know, you want to prove a point. There have been times where I've yanked my shirt. Mother, it was when I was older, wherever my mother is, so I wasn't ruining your clothes. But I would literally yank it. And the one day I was just like, oh, this is actually quite fun. It wasn't old shirt. And I just saw this whole thing unraveling. And the reason I say that is because I think sometimes we'll find in the Scriptures that there are certain threads that we find that run through. And if you and I begin to pull on those threads, we see that the Scriptures come alive and the Scriptures are unlocked and the Scriptures are open. And as we begin to do that, we see how the Old Testament ties in with the New Testament. We've got Adam, who uh, is the person that's created, and unfortunately Adam and Eve sin, but we know that Jesus is the better Adam. We've got Noah, who's in the Old Testament, but Jesus is the better Noah. We've got Moses, who brings the people out, and Jesus does exactly the same thing. He's the one that takes us out, and like Joshua, he's the one that brings us into our inheritance. And so this idea and this theme of worship, what it does is that it enriches you. Now, no longer just reading a text, you're reading a text in context with the rest of the passages of Scripture. And so all the way from the beginning of the Old Testament, we start in Genesis, Genesis 22, we see Abraham and God calls Abraham and says, I want you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham's response is this, me and the boy are going to worship. 
And all the way through, you, you get the judges and you get the kings and you get the psalmists that, and worship is intertwined. And we see both big expressions of worship and small expressions of worship, but worship nonetheless. We get to Malachi, which is the last book, and Malachi is a prophet, and he is tuning the people of Israel because Israel was taught how to worship, was taught how to sacrifice, but they are coming and bringing sacrifices that are lame and decrepit and blind, and they're bringing that worship. And, and he's saying that's not the worship that God calls us to bring. God calls us to bring worship that is holy, that is true. He's saying, I want your first fruits. Don't give me your secondhand stuff. He's tuning Israel, and I think it's good because sometimes I think we need a good tune as a church. Hopefully I won't do that this morning. Matthew 2 verse 2 opens up the birth of Jesus. And now all of these people from all over the show come and they, they want to see who this boy, they've heard the stories, the shepherds, and, and they say that we've seen the star and we've come to do what? We've come to worship. All the way through the Gospels, the letters to the churches and to different individuals, ending right at Revelations 22. And, and um, John is having this, this, this vision of what heaven is like and all of the activity. And right at the end, he's having a conversation with the angel and he bows at the feet of the angel. And the angel says, no, 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 I'm just like you. I'm just a fellow servant like you and all your brothers and all the prophets. Get up, da, 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 da. And he ends off like this, worship God. And so worship is a big deal. Worship is huge. And I think if we unlock worship and we understand worship, it helps you and I to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so my prayer for this morning as my time ticks on is this. It's very simple. Whether you are saved, being saved, being saved for five minutes, five years, or 50 years, I trust that there is a depth that we will go in as a community. And we get to realize the wonder and the awe that it is to bring our worship to Jesus. It's very simple, and I'm going to do it in this way. I want to answer five questions for us this morning. What is worship? Why do we worship? Who do we worship? How do we worship and when? Sorry, I nearly forgot <laughs> my own points. It's what, why, who, how, and when. And so the first thing I want to start off is, what is worship? What is it to worship? I'm sure there's many probably reasons that you've heard, read, uh, somebody else has, has, uh, has told you, and uh, I've heard of a lot of things that worship isn't. I've been in communities, not, here, not in this country, and uh, the person gets up and goes, we're about to do the singing songs of our gathering this morning. And I understand what they're saying, but I'm like, worship is so much more than just singing songs. Worship is a whole life. It takes every single inch of me. Yes, there is an expression where I'm bringing my praise and I'm worshiping and I'm glorifying, but it's so much more than just singing songs. I've heard some people say, oh no, it's the 15, 20 minutes before the service. It kind of just kind of kickstarts us and now we're ready for the word. We're ready to do business with Jesus as if worship is like this side thing that we put on before and now we're ready for the word. The word is vitally important. And in this community, we value the word and we wanna be in the word, but worship is as equally important. Because when we get to heaven, there will be no more preaching. There will be no more evangelizing. Sorry, Merv. There will be no more alpha courses and all of these things that we do here on this side of eternity. In heaven, when we get there, what we will do is we'll be consumed with the worship of Jesus. We will do absolutely nothing else and have a feast and, 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 and. But we will sit and bask in the awe of who he is. Why not get a head start on this side of eternity? It really does sadden me, if I can be very honest, my first bit of Hard truth this morning, when I see people walking in 15 minutes late for worship. Don't worry, we're not taking a, a register, don't worry, nobody knows. But I think in my heart, I go, do they not value the worship of Jesus? Do they not understand? Has, they, has it not been revealed to them? And if you're not saved, we understand. But if you and I, those that are walking with Jesus, 
How can it be that we just waltz into worship? Okay, they've done that stuff. Now I'm coming for the word. Surely not. And as we will go through, we see worship in every fabric of these pages. Worship matters. So if that's what isn't worship, well, what is worship? I want to just give us a couple of definitions. It is to esteem something that is of worth. So I give it my worth. I'm saying this thing is worthy of my time. It's worthy of my effort. It's worthy of me, you know, sacrificing this in order to do it. I esteem it and I value it. If we look at that word worship, um, where it's derived from, it actually means worth. It means actually this thing is worth my praise. And we know that there's Jesus and many other things that people worship, many other idols, people, whatever it is, cars, holidays, people are just worshiping, worshiping different things. But it's as a community, what we want to do is we want to attach worth to Jesus. We want to attach worth to us lifting our hands and raising our praises to Jesus. It is to honor. It is to place highest value. It's not to place a high value. It's to place highest value. Meaning out of all of the things that you and I, so I thought of this, it's like if we were to do, take a pie graph or one of those things and you were to divide all the activities of your life and your waking moments and you were to put a percentage, how much of that percentage would be worship? And I think, I was talking to Mikey, I think it was, I think sometimes we think we're better than we actually are. There's a stat in America, I think it is, and they say people go to church 2.5 times a, a, a month. I don't know where the 0.5 comes from. But I'm like, and people wear it as a badge of honor. Oh, I go to church 2.5 times. Why is that enough? Why is the bar so low? Why is it not that I go to church four times a month? And not because the pastor told me to, but because it's in my heart, because I want to be with God's people. I want to worship. I want to sit under the word. I want to fellowship. I don't have to be told what to do. It's in me. It just comes out of me. Place the highest value. Nobody needs to tell me. I don't need to set reminders. It just happens. Like worship comes out. If you are an individual that has been saved and you know Jesus, worship should just come out of you. If I stab you, will you not bleed? It's like the same thing. Like if blood comes out, if I just want to be a person that worships Jesus. It's to bow down. It's to acknowledge in all things. I was with a group of friends yesterday and we were speaking about anything and everything under the sun. But then there was a moment when we started speaking about Jesus and then things were on. I was like, it is a beautiful thing. There's, I know there's some individuals in this church, and I'm sure there's many more of you, but I know that after a little while, 10, 15 minutes of conversation, I know Jesus is gonna come up somewhere. Surely that should be you and me. Every conversation, we can't help ourselves but speak of Jesus because of who he is, and we even sung it this morning. Acknowledge him in all things. Some people are speaking about cars and sports, and, and those things are fine, so please don't come and fight me for that afterwards. You can fight me for other things. But actually, shouldn't it be that Jesus is always on our lips? We cannot wait for an opportunity to speak about Jesus. It's perpetual gratitude. I love that, perpetual gratitude all the time. It never ceases. I never cease to worship in gratitude because of who Jesus is. And it's not like an ostrich sticking its head in the sand going, well, there's so much nonsense going on, I don't care, I just must worship Jesus. No, there's the reality that our country is in trouble at the moment. There's the reality that our economy is shot. There's the reality that Cyril is under somewhat, you know, some trouble. Anyway, there's the reality that all is all around us, but that's not what we focus on. What we focus on is bringing praise and worship to Jesus. Can you put up Habakkuk 3, uh, 17? I love Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a prophet that's in the Bible, and, um, and all of this is going on, and Israel's been captured, and he's going, and he's actually having a moan and a gripe at God. God, how come? How come you haven't moved? How come these people have got us under their heavy hand? But I love it that things turn towards the end of Habakkuk. And he says this, Habakkuk 3.17. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, 
nor fruit to be on the vines, the produce of the, of, uh, of the olive fail. It could be though we have no electricity, though we have no decent government, though we have no power at times. You can add whatever you want to add in there. And the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Red point, will you and I, you know, sometimes, I, not sometimes, all the time, I love living. I know some of you are worried that I'm going to immigrate. I'm not going to immigrate, relax, but I love traveling. But I love the fact that I live in this country, and this country has got problems left, right, and center. But what does it do? It gets us on our knees. Because we know we cannot save ourselves. We know there's nothing that we can do. We're not clever enough, smart enough to put it together. So what does it do? It makes me cry out to Jesus. Yet will I rejoice. That's his response. With all of this stuff, the devastation, his nation, the people of God in captivity, his response is, I want to rejoice. Rejoice in what? Rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. What else? What are the other pictures of worship? It's to prostrate oneself. It's to lie with your face flat on the ground. It's to surrender. When you and I come to Jesus, I hope you know that you you need to surrender your life. That's the call when there's a call to come to Jesus. It's not that he's gonna make your life better and make all your woes disappear. No, you and I, in a sense, are coming to die. And I love Galatians 2.20, you can go up as well. This is Paul speaking. Paul, the very person that was breathing murderous threats to the church, he was on his way to go and lock up some more Christians. He was the one that was there that was giving approval for Stephen to be crucified, to be martyred and to be stoned. This is the very Paul, but he has an encounter with Jesus and he is never the same again. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. Red Point Church, have you been crucified with Christ? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Before Christ, I walked around, I did all of these things, but now that I'm a son or a daughter of the Most High, it's not me. I don't call the shots. I don't decide where I spend my money. I don't decide where I go on holiday. It's he who decides. Why? Because he is in me and I am in him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live in the flesh. Not saying I get my ticket and I'm just going to heaven, so I'm going to do whatever it is that I want on this side. No, no, no. The life I live now in the flesh, your life now matters. I live by what? By faith, not by sight, not by all of the things that I see happening around me. I live by faith. Faith in who? In the Lord, who is the Son of uh, in Jesus, who is the Son of God. It's to ascribe credit in all things. Psalm 29, to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord and the beauty of his holiness. When you and I worship something, we deem it worthy. It's like we're putting value. We're saying, man, I'm, I'm willing to give up. I'm willing to sacrifice. Worship costs us something. The fact that you and I are sitting here this morning means something has been, had to have been paid in order for you and I to have access. It costs God something. It costs Jesus his very life. And sometimes we can be very cavalier when we come into a space of worship. How can it be? Myself and Chris were listening to, well, we saw a short clip. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble, but it's fine. Um, we saw a short clip this, uh, sometime this week, and uh, this guy was kind of contrasting the worship of the world and the things that they worship, and he was contrasting it to Christians and how they worship. And uh, I don't have the, the boldness of Chris to speak about abiding, but, um, but I'll give it a go as best as I can. So this preacher um, speaks about a game of football. And he says, in a game, American football, the real thing. I mean, not the real thing, sorry. Whoa, whoa. It's because I know some of the Americans are watching, that's why. <laughs> anyway, yeah, American football. Yeah, 
So American football, basically all of that time that is spent, you only have 17 minutes of action, of actual contact, physical contact, one player against another player, kicking the ball, all of that time that is spent there, you only get 17 minutes of action. The game itself should last an hour. That's what is allotted for that game. But because of the, I don't know, offsides and the ref is running around throwing different colored handkerchiefs around and doing all of that, the offensive and defensive team are, switch, are switching all the time, that actually the game ends up taking three hours. Three hours of your life watching this game that should be done in an hour that actually should be done in 17 minutes, if we're honest. I don't understand how they think it's better than rugby, but anyway. And so he speaks about, that's like an average person. That's what they would give. But he says, a serious fan. And then he pulls up his trousers. You know he's going to do business with Jesus. But he says, a serious fan knows that he doesn't just rock up. He's got to get to the game. And so he knows that two hours before the game starts, he's got to start making his way down to the stadium. I happened to have the privilege of watching a Soweto derby. We left three hours. I was so bored. I was like, what the heck are we going to do for three hours? But we've got to find traffic and find a parking, and we then wait and wait until the gates open. But that's what a serious fan will do of the sport. They leave really, really early, willing to fight the traffic, the inconvenience of the travel, and a really long walk. It's like, it took us 20 minutes to get to our seats. I was like, this is ridiculous. I can tell I don't worship that sport. You then sit through this whole three-hour story. You watch, you watch, you watch, and then you make your way back home. On your way home, you may be talking to whoever's in the car with you. Oh, did you remember this? Do you remember that? I remember going and watching games with my neighbor, cricket or rugby or whatever, and he would get home. He'd turn on Mnet, and he wants to watch the commentators commentating on the game that he's just seen. His wife would be like, what are you doing? You were right there. What are they going to tell you that you haven't seen? But he was dedicated to it. And so he spends his three hours on Monday morning. They will get up. It doesn't end there. They will get up and around the water cooler or around the lunchtime, they now want to sit and dissect everything that just happened in the game that he's just seen, the game that he spent another 20 minutes, half an hour listening to the commentators. Why? Because he is so sold out. He is devoted to the sport. They begin to meditate on what's happened on the game. On Wednesday, he's looking now, he's looking, who's, who's the next game with? Who is playing? Maybe there was a player that's injured. All of these things. He's investing his time. And so this person, a serious fan, it's a whole life thing. It's not just a Sunday. It's not just a Monday. It's absolutely everything that they do. They spend all of this time ascribing worth and value to a sport. How much more, you and me, ladies and gentlemen, the worship that we bring, if the world devotes themselves that much energy, that much time to worship a few men running for 17 minutes, clash, 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 and it's over. How much more should you and I be bringing our worship to Jesus? If you support Man United, oh my word, it's been a dismal seven years, guys, I'm telling you. Supporting Man United should come with free medical insurance because the amount of energy that is exerted, you're up one minute and you're down. First thing, we're hiring Ronaldo, then he's leaving, then the ref is getting fired. They're trying all these things to solve the problem. It is a lot of energy and work that is given to supporting Man United. How much more the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one that died for you and I, the one that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is never changing. He loves us. He cares for us. He's given his very son for you and I. How much more should you and I bring our worship to Jesus. A believer's worship, as we bring it in, is filled with affection and gratitude to the Lord. Spent a lot of time on that. It's fine. So who do we worship? I think as I've mentioned, there's many things that we can worship. I think also like, as I've been mulling on my own heart, I've been saying, actually God, who do I really worship? 
and going in my mind, okay, I spend this time watching Netflix or whatever your favorite programs are. I spend this time doing this. I spend, actually, who is it that I'm really worshiping? And if nothing else this morning, I trust that there is a check in your heart to say, actually, Lord, I actually need to go and do some homework. If I look at my life, if I review everything that I do, actually, I don't know if you are the highest priority in my life. As a believer, you should, but maybe I need to realign some things. John Piper says, this true worship, which we've just discussed, is a valuing and treasuring of God above all things. Not above all things. There is nothing that is higher than God. It is a response of the heart to the knowledge of the mind when the mind rightly understands who it is that we worship, and that is God. And so when I rightly understand who God is and what he has done, my heart cannot help but to worship. I just, there's nothing else that I can do. I can try and stop like the, the apostles. They try to stop and they say, there's nothing else we can do. You can lock us up. You can beat us. You can do all of these things, but we cannot help. We will not stop speaking about Jesus. Worship is our response, both personally and corporate. God has initiated something, and we have the opportunity to respond in worship, both personally and corporately. And I trust we are well-versed with corporate and private worship, that it's not, you're not an event attendee. You're not just coming to Sunday and you've got your full, full. I mean, you wouldn't eat on Sunday only and then not eat for the rest of the week and then eat on Sunday again. It's the same with our faith. Every day we want to be worshiping, whether we're at home, whether we are driving to the kids to school or going to sports or in the gym or playing Frisbee, everything that we are doing, we want to bring our worship to Jesus. Psalm 92, it's good to get into the word. Psalm 92. Hey, 96, sorry, my apologies. Dory Pan, relax there. Psalm 96 from verse 2 to 5 says this, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works amongst all the peoples. For who? For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. It's not great as your car, great as your wife, great as your job. It says great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. And so that's who all of this is for. All of the effort that we go through here to make sure that there's community groups and that we come and the people that set up and and prepare and lead worship and lead the meeting, everything that we do is in order that all of us can come and worship the Lord. Why? Because he is greatly to be praised. 1 Chronicles 16 verse 4. This is David. Nick did mention it this morning. When, when, When the Ark of the Covenant comes back, David is ecstatic with worship and praise. And he says this, then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the Ark of the Lord to do what? To invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. He's so excited that the presence of the Lord has come back to his people that, man, he, he, he says we have to worship. That's his response to this good news. Luke 4, verse 8, this is Jesus having a conversation. The devil is going, actually, I want to give you all of these kingdoms, and people will worship you, etc., etc. But Jesus says this, he says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Who is it that you and I are worshiping and serving? Yours and my life are always emanating worship, meaning there's always worship coming from our lives. Every minute of every day, there's just worship, 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 and I'm sure you know full well that there are many things that are competing for our attention for worship. Just because we stop worshiping God doesn't mean we stop worshiping at all. All we do is we replace the person that we are giving our worship to. 
Think of the Israelites when Moses gets called. I mean, can you imagine? Moses gets called. Moses, I want to have a meeting with you. Moses goes up the mountain. There's stuff that's going on. It must have been amazing. But down at the bottom of the camp, there's trouble brewing. And so the guys go, hey, Aaron, come make us something. We need to worship. We don't know where this fellow Moses has gone. And so you need to give us something to worship. The golden calf is given. And they begin to worship that. They didn't stop worshiping. They just changed what it is that they worshiped. And on top of that, they take the very blessing that God has given them. When they were leaving Egypt, they said, go and fetch. You're going to get gold. They literally ransacked Egypt. And they use those things, the very blessings that God has given in order to worship. Isn't that like you and me? We, we replace the blessing of him himself and we start worshiping the things that he has created. I love the story in 1 Kings, Ahab, who is one of the, uh, he is spectacularly wicked, this guy. And, uh, but he's one of the kings of Israel, and uh, he calls the Israelites. He says, come, let's go up the mountain. He calls a couple of prophets, I think it's about 850 of them, um, and he calls Elijah. And Elijah's been watching Israel's worship, going this way, that way, this way. They're worshiping God. Then they're not worshiping God. They're doing their own thing. And he eventually comes up to them. He says, okay, guys, you now need to make a decision. He says, how long will you vacillate? How long will you go between two opinions? What about you? What about me? How long will I go between worshiping God and worshiping money? Worshiping God or worshiping my family. My family is the be-all of everything. My family, like everything comes under my family instead of the other way around where it's Jesus and everything fits into that. And so he's saying, how long will you go between two opinions? He's saying, actually, if if the Lord is God, worship him. But he says, "If, if Baal is God, then you must go and worship him. It seems a bit of an odd thing to say. It reminds us of the book of Revelations where uh, Jesus is speaking to the church in Laodicea. And he says, man, you guys are lukewarm. You can't decide. You're here. He says, I'd rather you one or the other. But I do not. Have you ever had, oh, have you ever had lukewarm tea? Oh, it is disgusting. I'm like, every time I drink it, I'm like, yeah, this is why Jesus wants to spit us out because it's terrible. <laughs> but you and I can do that. We just go worshiping God on Sunday, Monday I'm worshiping something else. Worshiping God at Life Group on Tuesday, Wednesday I'm worshiping something else. Make up your mind, decide who is it that you will worship. I must carry on. Who is it, quickly, um, that must bring their worship? So we know that it's God that we worship. Who's to bring? It's a, Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everything, there's nothing that's left out. There's an occasion um, where I think it's the religious leaders are trying to shut up the people from worshiping. And Jesus goes, relax. If they don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. Creation, the mountains, and the trees will clap their hands. All of it, everything has been created to give him worship. So then the next question is why? Why do we worship? I don't have some clever answer. The basic answer is that you and I were created to worship. That's all it is. You and I. Every single individual, whether you're saved, not saved, know Jesus, have been walking for a while or short, every one of us have been called to worship Jesus. It's the reason that you and I exist. Isaiah 43 from verse 20 says this, the wild beast will honor me, the jackals and the ostrich, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself. The people who are formed for myself, every individual that is sitting in this room at the moment, formed for the worship of God. That they might do what? That they might declare my praises. And so when I'm at work on Monday, I've been formed, created to bring him worship. 
when you're raising your kids, I've been formed and created to bring him worship. Everything that I do, everything that I put my hand on, why? I've been created in order that I can give the worship back to him. Colossians 1.16 says a similar thing. It says all things have been created through him and for him. 1 Peter 2.9 speaks about how we're a chosen race, a holy people, a people of his own possession. Jesus bought us with his own blood. Think of his nail-pierced hands. He is the one that bought us and purchased us to do what? To proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He is the one. He is the one we should give our devotion, our love, our attention, spend all of our resources. Why? Because we were made in him and through him and for him. Man was not created for fame. We're not created to have hordes of people bringing us praise and all of these followers on Instagram watching us do supposedly amazing things. That's not why we were created, to accumulate multiple homes around the world and all of these vehicles and have all of these. Those things are good and we need homes and we need vehicles, but that's not why we were created. We were created to bring him all the glory and all the honor. There's times when I'm in worship, either leading or here, and I just begin to smile. I just can't help it. I feel like in those moments, God reminds me of why I'm here. And I realize, I'm like, this is the best thing that I will ever do. I love hanging with mates. I love meals. I love travels. I love all of those things, and I'm sure you do too. But in moments of worship, when we are singing and bringing our praise, I just begin to smile. Because I think something happens in my spirit. Something happens in my heart. And there's a realization that this is what I was created to do. I will do nothing better with my life than to bring my praise and my worship to Jesus. It's a very sobering thing. Just quickly, two aspects, two things that really help stir worship in me. The first is this word, reading this word, getting to know who it is that we are worshiping. So helpful and so important. Somebody, I remember a preacher saying, you cannot worship beyond what you know about someone. And so if I know Chris, wherever he's sitting, where's Chris? Yes, I'm going blind. Um, thank you. <laughs> Old age. Um, if I know Chris a little bit and I meet Mike and Mike, he's like, oh, what's this Chris fellow like? I'll be able to tell him only a little bit. But as I li- live, as I, maybe sometimes live, I don't know. As I, as I do life with Chris, we walk together, we do missions together. And then Mikey comes, hey, I've heard of this fellow Chris. I'm like, I cannot stop raving about Chris. Chris is this, and he's the DIY guy, his dad of the year, made a really good child, and all of these things. I can tell them all of these stories. Why? Because I've spent time, and I know who Chris is. And so we, we can, if you only know this much about God, man, that's, your worship will be shown as that. But if you and I are in the Word, we're saying, God, I want to know who you are. I want to read the stories of the things that you've done, and I'm going every year backwards, forwards, backwards, forwards. I'm spending my time. I've decided to give my devotion, not to watching Netflix and sports and all of those things. I've decided to devote my time to the Scriptures because when it comes to worship, I'm like, I know who my God is. I know who it is that I'm bringing my worship to. And then there are common things that we find all the way through Scripture that you and I can bring worship for. I thought of His mercies the other day. I had one of the moments last, it's actually last week, Saturday, we're having band practice, and I was like, it was a terrible practice. (laughs) But it's good, because it humbles us. But there was something, there was inner turmoil in my heart, actually, is what was going on. And I feel like God put a mirror and showed me something that had happened a week or two before then. And I looked, and I was disgusted. I was appalled. I was like, I thought I'd done, done with this. I thought I'd overcome this thing. God's going, not so much. 
went out for a meal with Keith and a couple of the guys, and I actually had to leave early. I said, Keith, I need to leave. I said, me and the Lord need to do some business. I said, I cannot lead worship in this space tomorrow. And I went home, and I just began to weep. And I came at the foot of Jesus, and I knelt down in my kitchen. I said, Jesus, I don't know what is going on, but I want to come to you because I know that your mercy is on you for me. I know that you're a gracious, loving God, abounding in steadfast love. And so I know that you know the turmoil that is in my heart, the sin that, that, that I have within me. But I know this, is that when I come to you, I will find mercy and I will find grace. And so in times of difficulty, when life is hard, I go back to that God, the God that is merciful and gracious and kind to me. thought of mercy, and I'm sure there is a definition for that, but to me, I think of mercy, and I think, actually, he does not treat me as my sins deserve. Romans 4, verse 8, one of the things I really love is the fact that, that, that when I get to heaven one day, and there will be a long list of things that the Lord will be like, and this, and this, and this, and this, wrong, 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 bad, 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 but then Jesus will step in the way, and Jesus will say, no, 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 but I shed my blood for him. Romans 4 verse 8, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not count against him. It's because I know who I am. Guys, I lasted half an hour. Because I know the wretchedness of my heart and my, the thoughts of my mind, and I've got to repent, if not hourly. I love Romans. It's the scripture I hold. it. so when I come to worship, I may have had a bad week. You might have kicked the dog on the way out. You and the auntie might have been having a squabble. I don't know what happened. But when I come before Jesus, I go, blessed is the man who sins, my Lord, will never count against me. I am blessed. How can I do anything but worship? Bring my gift of worship to Jesus because he's so kind. The other aspect that really helps me in my worship is, oh, yeah, yeah, as I, I look at God's proven track record in my life. And my mom, my brother, and I, 1990, I think it was, came to VFC back then. In the midst of apartheid, we moved into Pantown, and Nikki White and her family invited us to Jesus. The world is telling her these people should be treated. You shouldn't have anything to do with them, but the love of Jesus is emanating. They are worshiping Jesus. There is an invite given. We walk into this church, Dave Lepasco, who many of you might remember, comes and greets us and he shakes our hand, invites us into, I had no idea what's going on. My mom's probably got a better recollection. Like it wouldn't have been an easy move for us, but God plunks me here in this community. And I think God saved our lives because I don't know where I would be. Stats say I should, I don't know, be an alcoholic, have a couple of kids that I don't even know about committed a couple of crimes, maybe in jail, maybe on drugs, maybe on weed. I do not know. But one thing I know is that I look back and I see the hands and the fingerprints of God all over my life. I cannot do anything else but bring worship with who I am. Imperfect, full of nonsense. But I bring my worship to Jesus. Why? Because he is worthy of all my praise. I think of the 10 lepers. Oh, sorry. 
10 lepers, and lepers were like they were uh, detached, sorry, from the community. They could not be part of normal, everyday life. And Jesus intercepts them and meets them, and he heals them, and they're on their way uh, to the religious leaders, to the priests, to show themselves and get a notice of, you guys are all good now. And on the way, one of them stops and goes, hey, guys, we've been healed. Yes, I will go to the temple, but actually, I need to go back to Jesus. He's reminded, he says, God, Jesus has healed me. I can't just carry on on my way, carrying on doing what I need to go and do. I need to go back. Jesus goes, weren't there 10 of you? But only one of them go back. Each one of us have got a story of redemption, either unfolding or that has unfolded. And so in the moments that it's difficult to worship, because worship is difficult at times, I look back at those things. I look into the word and I say, because of these things, I will bring my worship to Jesus. Very quickly, when do we worship always? Worship is a lifestyle and everything. Sorry, I can't spend time here. I've heard of so many stories of people getting saved because somebody bought them a cup of coffee. Because somebody at work treated them a certain way when everybody else was treating them in a bad way or a different way. Because somebody works in somebody's home and this person is just blessing them, the gardener or the person that cleans the home, being saved. Why? Because they've seen Jesus through that person. What is that person doing? They're just worshiping. They don't need to be kind. They don't need to do this. Business owners are just blessing the people that work in their business. And the life of Jesus is pouring from them to these people. And people get saved. Paul and Silas, Acts 16, physical act of worship whilst they're sitting in jail. Acts 34 verse 1 says, I will extol the Lord at all times. In the morning, I will extol them. In the afternoon, on the way to work, everything that I do, I want to extol the Lord. Luke 7, the woman with the alabaster jar, and she comes and breaks it and pours it on Jesus' feet, act of worship. Mark 12, the woman that gives her last mite, it's, it's, it's everything, it's done. She's got nothing left, act of worship. Abraham surrendering his son to Jesus, I mean to God, act of worship. Jesus in total surrender to the Father. He's in the garden, he's going, oh, Lord, this cup is too heavy for me to bear, but if it's your will, I will do it. Complete and utter surrender to Jesus. All of these things took place in different places, in a jail, in a home, in a temple, on a mountain, in a garden. Our worship is always. It's not like we turn worship on and off. Okay, I'm worshiping now. Okay, I'm not worshiping now. Everything that we do is worship. I'll leave all of that. Lastly, I'm coming to land. How do we worship? I could give you a whole long list of things. This is how, this is what to do. I could do all of that. But I just want to go through probably about seven or eight scriptures quickly. And what I love about these scriptures is that it doesn't give a disclaimer. So it doesn't say if you've had this sort of upbringing, this is how you should worship. It doesn't say if you're A-type personality, this is how you should worship, or B-type. It doesn't say if you come from a family that's non-confrontational, you bring your worship like this. Or if you're like Mikey and you are very loud, you bring your worship like this. Bless you, Michael. We love your loud worship. I love that it doesn't do that. The instruction as believers is just to do what it says. And so when people, if I can be a bit cheeky, are worshiping like this, that you're not going to find in the Psalms. There's 150 of them. Nowhere does it say fold your arms in worship. <laughs> Woo! Nowhere does it say that we worship with our hands in our pockets. And I, I know, but I'm, all the stories that I've just told... I'm saying, Lord, you are so much. If Nelson Mandela walked in here, most guys probably wouldn't be standing like this. 
How much more Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Quickly, all these texts. Um, Psalm 95, verse 67, says, Oh, come. Nick, last week, Sunday morning, invited us. Oh, come. Some of us were going to chill and watch Igoli. He said, no, don't watch Igoli. Come and worship. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Sometimes there's a call. We say, we actually want to bow down. Why? In reverence. It's not some charismatic thing that we're trying to do. No, no, no. We're just listening and doing what the scripture tells us. It says, come and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Deuteronomy 9, 18. Then I lay prostrate. Um, Israel had messed up again, and Moses is begging God. Maybe not, maybe not use begging, but Moses is pleading to God and saying, God, please don't turn away from us. Please continue to be with us. Lead us and guide us. And so what is his response? He says, I'm going to lie prostrate on the ground for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm going to lie prostrate on behalf of these people. Calling out to God, please continue to show your love, your mercy, and your grace towards us. Psalm 47, verse 1, clap your hands. It's not, it's not like something that we do that is cool. In the beginning of a song, just we'll give a fist bump. I don't know. But it says, clap your hands. Who's to clap all their hands? All you peoples. So every individual, the instruction to you and me when we come to worship is? Oh, sheesh, that was dismal. Is to? There you go. Psalm 63, verse 3 to 4. Because your steadfast love is better than life. What an amazing text. Your steadfast, ongoing love is better than life. My lips will praise you. That's why we praise with our lips. Uh, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you for how long? As long as I live. Not just today, not just tomorrow, not when the bank balance is looking good, not when everything is looking rosy. I will praise you all of my life. As long as I live, I will lift up my hands and call. I will call upon the Lord, for he alone is strong enough to save. That's what we do. Why? Because that's what the scripture instructs us to do. Jeremiah 31 verse 4, again, I will rebuild you. I will build you, a virgin daughter Israel. Again, you shall take your tambourines and go forth. I say this gingerly. If you bring your tambourine, please play it in time because we can hear. It doesn't help us worship oaks if this oak is every offbeat. But I invite you, if you want to bring your tambourine, bring your tambourine. It's all good. I'm a, the worship leaders are going to shy me after this, but it's fine. Exodus 15, we see the Israelites having been brought through, and it says, Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine, so clearly, in her hands, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing, the first flash mob. Oh, no, no, (laughs) y'all don't want that. Dancing, tambourine, celebration. And this is after Moses has written his song. So Moses' response to God bringing them through uh, the Red Sea, his response is to write a song. Her response is, I'm going to take my tambourine and me and the ladies are going to have one jabula there. That's their response. I must come to land. Psalm 71, 23, my lips will shout, shout. Last week, where's Abby? Last week, we were practicing on Saturday and Abby was leading a song. Shout for the Lord. I was like, Auntie, that's not shouting. No, I'll shout tomorrow. I was like, no, shout now. It's a shout. Anyway, my lips will shout for joy when I praise, uh, when I sing praises to you. My soul, sometimes our soul needs to harden up. And I need to tell my soul that is downcast and looking at all the problems around me. I need to tune you, Baba. You need to lift your hands. Anyway. Psalm 33, verse 2, praise the Lord with the harp. Can the band come up? Because that's what we're going to do now, not with a harp unless you've got one. It says, praise the Lord with a harp. Make music to him with the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. When is the last time you sang to him a new song? Again, this is not me. This is in Scripture. 
Last week, Sunday, Ingrid was wrapping up the meeting, and she was kind of bringing it to an end. And then all of a sudden, my brother Keith there just starts, he just starts doing the things. And there's a new song that erupts within him. See, when you and I have seen Jesus, when we've experienced him, there is a song that wells up in our hearts. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be the latest hit. But it's a new song because I've experienced and I know who my Jesus is. Can we stand, please? James 1.23 speaks about being hearers and doers of the word. It speaks about a guy that looks in the mirror, looks at his, the natural features of his face, but goes out and forgets what he looks like. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to respond to the word. It's what we want to do. We, want, we don't want to just hear, hopefully it was a half-decent sermon, whatever. But what we want to do is we want to respond in an attitude of worship to this king. And I trust that even maybe while I was preaching, the Holy Spirit was like a good chiropractic, aligning some things. But maybe there's some things in your mind that you're going, actually, mm, I need to change that. You need to grab you and your book in. You need to have a conversation. We need to change things in our home. We need to make decisions. We need to put that away. We need to give our attention to this. And what I want to do, this is a bit bold, but I want to invite you to the front. Not in response to anything that I've said. I'm not clever enough. I'm not worried about that. But I want to invite you to come down. All of you, there's a lot of space. I grew up in this church. When I was a little lighty, they'd say, come, we're going to worship in the front. I know it's nice and comfortable to sit in your chairs, but I want to invite us to come to the front in an attitude and response to who Jesus is. Thank you, Ingrid. Because we're saying, actually, maybe I haven't brought my worship to you. I've held back. I've been reserved. And actually, I'm deciding now that I want to bring an offering of worship to you. There was something spectacular last week, Sunday night, as all of us kind of huddled together. Gunter was saying he wasn't singing in the right key, and we were like, it's fine. It's fine, because what we want to do as a congregation, when we gather corporately, we want to bring our worship. We want to encourage each other in our bringing of worship to Jesus. So come through. I'm not rushing for anything. When we're at a concert or a rugby game, we don't leave five minutes early, so it's all good. Jesus is not in a rush, not in a Maybe we can just close our hands, I mean close our eyes and raise our hands. begin to bring your song, whatever it is. might be in tongues. It might be a few random syllables. It's okay. Nobody's judging. We just want to bring our worship to Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, we declare our love for you. We declare that you are our everything. Who is there that is like you, our living God? The one who is and is to come. The one who is steady. The one who is secure. The rock of ages. We bring our worship to you not to any sport, not to any idol, not to any individual. We bring an offering to you because we know that you are worthy of our offering. You are worthy of our praise. And so we will not be quiet. We will not be ashamed. We will lift our hats. We will lift our voices. We will lift our feet and worship and in adoration because we know that you are worthy of it all, Lord. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our praise. And so we glorify you. We magnify you as a community and as a congregation. We want to pour our worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We say you are worthy. You are worthy. Worthy is the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we worship you with all that we are.